0: Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. So today we are finishing up our series on uh, the the armor of God, and the series has been called The Art of War. And the series is all about the understanding that we are under attack, that the enemy of our soul is out to get us and that God has equipped us, he's given us armor, his armor, that we can defend ourselves, that we can protect ourselves against the schemes of the enemy. Um, And if you have missed part of this series, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it. You can download the podcast, you can uh, watch the video, uh, and, and get caught up because this has been foundational for how we start our year. We believe that this is a year of advancement, this is a year of acceleration in a lot of ways, and and we know that when God is working in our lives that the enemy is going to resist that that he is going to come against that and and the same is true in your life so you need to be prepared for what the enemy will bring against you cuz he will bring a front against you in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10 Paul's talking to the church at Ephesus and he says this finally be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now last week, I was out, and Pastor Dick Motzing, our associate pastor, he preached Uh, From Ephesians 6, 17, and he talked about the helmet of salvation. And I will pick up where he left off uh, and complete this passage. And it says, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, Paul was writing to a Roman province, people that understood Roman soldiers, they understood their armor. And so when he talks about the different pieces of armor, they understand it because they see it. And so we get to the portion where he's talking about the sword of the spirit. And Romans were known for their swords. Uh, Roman soldiers carried a sword, a standard sword was called a gladius. And the gladius was a double-edged uh, double-edged sword, so it was very sharp when it was maintained well, and the, the tip of the sword was tapered, so it would do immense damage to unarmored enemies. Uh, but it would also do damage to enemies that had armor on because the tip of the gladius could actually penetrate almost any kind of armor. And when Paul talks about the gladius, he talks about the sword of the spirit. It's interesting because he doesn't go into the rest of the armament that a normal Roman soldier carried. Because a normal Roman soldier, they would carry a a, a dagger on their person. They would also carry, typically, they would carry um, a couple of uh, one-time use... um, um, Spears, I was looking for the word, it's different than the javelin that they would carry sometimes. The javelins were longer and the spears were typically shorter, but they would use, be used for ranged combat. So an enemy would be coming at them, they would throw it at them from a distance. And they would also carry uh, lead-weighted darts. So imagine uh, like a, a lawn dart. Does anybody remember lawn darts before they got outlawed? Uh, it was sort of like a lawn dart, but it was something that they could throw at distance at an enemy that was coming their way. And I, I thought this was interesting because what we see is Paul omits the rest of the armament. and he doesn't talk about it that we see from history. And he only talks about the sword. And I wondered about this. Why would he do that? And what, I, what I, I believe is the truth is that I think Paul understood two things. Number one, I think he knew that the sword of the spirit was the only offensive weapon we would need. That we don't need any other weapon besides that in In our armament. The other thing I think we realize is uh, Paul recognizes we don't need ranged weapons because whether we realize it or not, the battle that we are in is closer to us than we realize it is. The battle we're in is an intimate battle. The enemy of your soul knows you better than you realize he does. He he knows your weaknesses. He knows um, your temptations. He can identify those things. And he knows you better than you realize he does, so the battle we 're in is intimate it 's near to us, uh, and we don 't always like that um, there's a game that a uh, video game that I will play with my daughters sometimes if you 've got teenagers, you probably are familiar with this video game it 's called Fortnite." Some of you are like, "Oh God, I thought I could escape fortnite here, but you can 't it 's everywhere." So this game, it's called Fortnite, and what it is is um, it is basically a battle royale between a hundred people. So a hundred people will log on, they're dropped onto this island, and it's kind of cartoonish violence, it's not bloody and gory or anything like that, but you're dropped onto this island and the goal is to be the last person standing. And the way you're the last person standing is by everyone else dying. So I can't really imagine Jesus being like, hey fellas, let's take a break, let's go play some Fortnite and kill some people, but... Your pastor does from time to time. So so you dropped onto this island, and there's this invisible barrier that closes. It gets smaller and smaller to force all the people on the island together to to be in one place. So it's maximum carnage is what it's looking for. Um, And so, you know, they've got all kinds of costumes and weapons and things like that. And uh, there are several ways you can play the game. Uh, one of the things that my girls like to do, and and I too, for the record, is we've got a strategy that we call run and hide. And (laughs) and, uh, this is similar to my strategy. Like, I like to imagine I'm the hero in movies. Like, I would be the one kicking down doors and like, hunting down the bad guy, but in reality, I'd probably be more like the run and hide guy. Anyway, um, so the strategy is exactly what you think it is. Um, You just want to outlast everybody. You just want to survive as long as possible, and maybe you'll get lucky. That's kind of the thinking when it comes to run and hide. One of the strategies of run and hide is you hide in the bushes, and you shoot people at distance. Now, uh, I I didn't have this out because I didn't want to frighten anyone. I got a prop from our friends at IUP R O T C and this is not real, okay? Just to make it clear, I didn't want to freak anybody out and have this on stage today and have you think that we are gonna do something special with it. But this is what I also know. <laughs> it's for offering time. Hey, who's <laughs> gonna give? <laughs> right? No. <laughs> who's ready to give a special offering? Raise your hands, real high. Anyway. Uh, And I know what's going to happen. Some of you are on your phones right now taking pictures of your pastor with a gun on stage. (laughs) And it's going to end up on like the Huffington Post later that I threatened you to give anyway. So, this is the kind of weapon you would see on Fortnite. It is a ranged weapon. This is not meant for close combat. This is meant to take somebody out at a distance. And so my daughters and I, we will, we will hide in the bushes with our guns and hope the bad guys don't see us and hope we can pick them off when nobody's around. And one day, my daughter and I, my oldest daughter, Abby, we were playing Fortnite and, um, and we were employing the run and hide strategy. So we're hiding in the bushes and as we're sitting there, uh, the, the barrier's getting smaller, and we see two people running across. And we're playing duos, so we're in a team of two. And we see these two people running across, and they don't see us. I said, Abby, let's get those guys. She said, okay, let's get them. And I'm ready, because their backs are to us. They're running away, which is the optimum time to get them, right? Their backs are to us. So we run out of the bushes. And I go, let's go. And I start firing away at them. And all of a sudden, I realize nobody's firing away with me. And I go, Abby, where are you? And she said, I ran away. And I said, Why'd you run away? She said, I got scared. And I said, Abby, it's a video game. You will respawn if they kill you, right? We'll start another game. And so I, of course, these people turned around and killed me, and I was alone. And so then Abby is by herself in this game. Now, the funny part about this is um, Abby's by herself, and she is not aggressive when it comes to this game. And she's, the berry's getting smaller. She's running bush to bush, hiding to make sure nobody sees her. And you see the number of People on the game is going lower and lower and lower as more people are eliminated. And it gets down to two, and the circle has shrunk, and she's hiding in this bush. And we're watching the screen, and right about this time, the one other competitor walks out, and he's standing there. He's knelt down, he's looking around, trying to see her, and he doesn't know that she is like she could reach out and touch him practically. She's right there. And my heart starts beating fast because I'm a proud father. (laughs) I say, Abby you, you got to shoot him. She goes, Daddy, I'm scared. I said, baby, shoot him. Shoot him. Shoot him in the head. Shoot him. <laughs> so my daughter, full of poise, she squeezes off around and he drops like a bag of potatoes. And at that moment, chaos ensues in our basement as I embrace her and she embraces me and we're jumping up. A d- oh my gosh. Ah, oh, Battle Royale and it says on the screen victory royale and so I took a picture of the screen and I posted on social media because that's how proud a dad I was that day (laughs) and one solitary tear flowed down my cheek (laughs) I'm so proud right it was like oh my gosh this is so cool but this is what happened my daughter employed a method run and hide hope nobody sees you maybe we'll get lucky that so many of us employ in our spiritual lives Hey, there's an enemy that's out to get us. Maybe if we just hide, if we lay low, if we don't make enough noise, maybe he'll never know we're here. Maybe we'll get through this thing alive. Maybe somehow with luck we can survive it. And the problem is we think this is our spiritual weapon, but it's not. Our weapon is intimate because our enemy is close by. He sees you. He knows where you're at and he's coming to get you. But we have a weapon that we can stop him with and that's the word of God. And we've got an opportunity to stand firm against the enemy, to stand tall against him, to be bold and push back against what he has for us. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says this, "...for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart." See, that the gladius that Romans carried was powerful. It was known as the sword that conquered the world because of how it was used and how intimidating a force it was. And what we see here, the writer of Hebrews said, the word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It's more powerful than the gladius because the gladius could cut a human in half. But what the the sword of the spirit can do is it, it it can actually render us. It can actually... Divide our spirit and soul so it gets to the very core of who we are. See, when it's applied to our own lives, it can reveal things about us that we don't even realize ourselves. That's how powerful it is. It's such a powerful weapon that when it's used against our enemy, there's nothing he can do to stop it. See, when we look at the word of God, this phrase, word of God, it can mean three different things. And if you're taking notes, you can write these down. The first thing is, it it can be the written word of God. And when we talk about the written word of God, we're talking about the Bible. And I will say this, as a church, um, the Bible is our foundation for everything. Uh, the Bible is what instructs us, it's what guides us, it what, it's what informs us. It is what is our standard for living and for life and for decision making. What happens so many times is we say things like, well, the Bible's really important and it's valuable, but what happens is we want... We want the Bible to be shaped by our lives. So my feelings, my emotions, my experiences shapes how I think the Bible should act. So when the Bible says something that's contradictory to my life, I go, well, there's something must be wrong with the Bible. If they knew when they wrote this, what we know now, they wouldn't have said that stuff because now we're enlightened. We're smarter. We understand the world better. But that's not the case at all. What we have to understand is the Bible is the infallible perfect Word of God. And if my life is contrary to Scripture, then it's not the Scripture that's wrong. It's my life that's wrong. So I need to adjust some things in my heart instead of saying, well, God messed up because God did not mess up. It is the perfect Word of God. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Now it sounds like a class, doesn't it? Teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. But really what it's talking about is the Bible is breathed out by God and it's good for us to become who God wants us to be is really what it's saying but it says that it's breathed out by God. When you look at scripture, anytime God breathes into something, he brings life to something. So if you look back at Genesis chapter 2, he formed man from the dust of the earth and he, he breathed life into his lungs. He literally breathed into him and he gave him life. The breath of God is life. So what we have to understand is the word of God is life for us because it is God breathed. There is life resident in the word of God. Now, um, my mom is probably watching this. Uh, there, was, um, there was a time when I was little, I had a little Gideon Bible, and I thought I would be smart, and I went into the kitchen where my mom was, and I put the Bible on the floor, and I stood on the Bible, and I said, hey, mom, look, I'm standing on the word of God, and I thought I was clever. She thought I was blasphemous, and she whooped me. <laughs> and is, if you're from the South, you understand this. There's spankings, and then there are whoopings, and I got a whooping that day. <laughs> Because I was standing on the word. Now listen, there's nothing inherently valuable about the paper. What's valuable is the life that comes through the words on the paper. Uh, And and that's why I don't feel bad about having an iPad, because it's got the word of God on my iPad. So the paper is not the valuable part. It's what God speaks through the words. And what we see is the words are powerful to bring life to us. So what we have to understand is there's life in the word of God and it's for us. Um, lately, in just my personal prayer time, I've been using the Passion Translation, um, and if you haven't looked at that, it, it's really it's really rich, um, and it, the language is a little more common, I guess, but I, I just love the Passion Translation, and in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, same verse we just read, let me read it to you from that translation. It says, every scripture has been written by the Holy Spirit, the breath of God. It will empower you by its instruction and correction, giving you the strength to take the right direction and lead you deeper into the path of godliness. What this does is it changes our lives when we apply the word of God to us, when we say, hey, this is my standard for life and living. This is not just what I want to do. It's not just a guidebook, but this is the word of God. It is what God has spoken, his best practices for me and for my life. In Psalm chapter 119, verse 11, the psalmist says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Uh, my, my question for you today is, what are you storing in your heart? Um, the psalmist says, I've stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Um, And I know when I thought about this, one of the first things I thought of is if you look at the Nativity story, what we see a couple times in the book of Matthew is that Mary, the mother of Jesus, it says uh, Mary cherished these things and she stored them up in her heart. So so these are experiences she valued that she she kept hidden away in her heart. She wasn't going to forget about very easily. And when I thought about that, and I thought about what do I store in my heart as your pastor, uh, you would think, I would say, well, scripture that's all that I store whatever it is there'd be some godly answer but can I be honest with you what is very easy for me to store in my heart are failures and difficulties and disappointments those are the things that I remember pretty easily those are the things that unfortunately get stored in my heart and what I've come to realize is I value those experiences too highly I almost let them define me at times um, I, I heard an interview uh, with a, a golfer uh, on the radio this last week, and the person that was conducting the interview asked them about some of the championships they'd won, and he talked about it. But then he said, "You know, man, some of the hardest things for me are the ones that I let get away." And he said, well, "What do you mean?" And so this golfer went on to describe. He went on to describe some of the the tournaments he had been in that he ended up blowing it down the stretch, and he talked about uh, specifically one tournament. It was the U.S. Open, and he knew the exact place, and he said, I was on the 15th hole, and I hit a ball into the water and I took a drop and he's describing the 15th, 16th, 17th, 18th holes of this golf tournament. He remembered them vividly in detail. And so he finished talking about this and the interviewer said, man, I can't believe how good your memory is. And the guy that was the professional golfer said, we remember the bad shots a lot easier than we do the good shots. And I thought, how true is that for us? That these are the things typically that we store away in our hearts, that we put a high value on those things, but we forget about all the good things that God has done and who he is. And when it comes to the word of God, what the psalmist says is we've got to marginalize, we've got to push out the stuff that shouldn't be there. There's things that we should not value, that we should not meditate on, that we should not remember, but we do. And he says we push those aside and we fill up that space with the word of God. Now, I've got a box in my office it's in my uh, in my closet and it is literally it's full of cards and it's from pastor appreciation or Christmas cards or just encouragements that people send me from time to time, people from our church, uh, other pastors, whatever it might be. And it's, I do that intentionally because I need to be reminded sometimes about these kind of things. Because when somebody writes a card to you, what they're saying is, this is who I think you are. This is how I feel about you. This is how you make me feel. This is what I believe about you. And it's good for us to see that and remember that uh, and, and this is what I want you to know. The word of God is just like that because the whole word of God from cover to cover, from beginning to end is God telling you, this is what I believe about you. This is who I think you are. This is how you make me feel. This is, this is what I believe you could do. This is how I believe in you. And it is a reminder for us of who God believes us to be. And it's a reminder for us that, that God has a future and a plan for us. So what we have to do is begin storing the word of God in our hearts. We have to begin tucking it away going, man, I'm not going to forget this. I'm going to memorize this. I'm not just going to read it once, but I want to apply it to memory because this is an important truth for me to know. Psalm 119 verse 11, same verse I just read. Let me read it in the Passion Translation again. It says, I consider your prophecies to be my greatest treasure and I memorize them and I write them on my heart to keep me from committing sin's treason against you. And what the psalmist is saying is, If I can tuck the word of God in my heart, if I can remember who you say I am and who I know you to be and that you've got a future and a plan for me, if I can remember that, then I'm less likely to commit sin's treason against you. I'm less likely to fall into a trap. I'm less likely to do something stupid if I can remember who you are and who you've called me to be. Because so many times when we find ourselves in a place where we've blown it and done something stupid, it's because we've forgotten who we were. It's because we've forgotten who God's called us to be. We don't treasure the word of God because, in my opinion, we question its validity and we question its value. We look at it as a book of stories and fairy tales, and we say things like, well, I'm sure, you know, that's a nice story, but did that really happen? Well, I mean, it was fine for 2,000 years ago, but is it really is it really relevant for us today? will say things like, well, sure, that was fine for them. But what we're really saying is, it has no value for us today. It has no weight for us today. And I was reminded of a quote by an author named G.K. Chesterton. If you're not familiar with Chesterton, he was brilliant. He said this, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. So what happens for so many of us is we go, yeah, I want the Word of God. I want to read the Word of God. I want to know the Word of God. But I don't want it that much. I got to read it. Huh? I don't know. Maybe you started the year this year and you said, "I'm going to read the Bible every day." And you got two days in. You're like, "Well, I've already blown it." I'm going to read the Bible once a week. You got two weeks in. You're like, "Well, I've already messed that up." So once a month. Every time I go to church and I hear Mel, I'm going to read it off the screens when he reads it. I'll read the Word of God. And it's not easy to be in the Word. But but this is what we have to understand. Um, The Word of God only works in our lives if we apply it to our lives. So it's it's one thing to read it. It's another thing to apply it. And what we have to do is say, hey, this is going to be challenging. It might cause me to have to sacrifice some time in a morning or in an evening or at lunchtime. But I'm going to get the Word of God in me. I'm going to value it. I'm going to treasure it above my failures and circumstances and experiences. In Isaiah 55, 10 and 11, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I have purposed, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God's talking, and he said, He's painting a picture and he says, just like the rain and the snow fall on the earth and they don't just evaporate back into the sky, when it falls on the earth, it it is soaked into the soil. And that water and that rain, it, it helps bring life. So there's fruit that grows, there's plants that grow that bear fruit from the soil. He said, just like the rain will cause fruit to grow, my word, when my word goes forth, it will cause something to grow. It will bring forth life, is what he's saying. And if you've ever been in a desert area, you know that there's not much rain, so there's not much life there. But but when rain comes, it can bring life. Now, this is what I would tell you today. Some of us, we feel so dry. We're like, man, I don't see any fruit in my life. I don't see any growth. I don't see any development. And my question to you would be, has your heart been saturated with the Word of God? Or did you get, did you get a quick rainstorm, maybe? Because you can come in here on Sundays or on Saturday nights, and you can get a little bit of rain, a little bit of water, a little bit of the Word of God on you, and you're like, oh, that's better. And then you go away all week and you don't have the Word of God in you, and then you wonder why nothing's growing. And I'm telling you, it's because your heart's not saturated with the Word of God. Your heart hasn't been covered, hasn't been enveloped by the Word of God. And when that happens, there is no option other than fruit will begin to be produced in your life. Life will happen when the Word of God saturates your heart. Second thing is, The first thing was the written word. The second thing is the incarnate word. This is John chapter 1. This is a passage we read a lot at Christmas time. John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, In the beginning was the word. And the word is describing, is talking about Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Now, if you skip down to verse 14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So when we look at this, um, this passage, when it's talking about the Word, it's describing Jesus. That Jesus is the Word. Um, the Word here for Word is the Greek word Logos. And logos is kind of hard to pin down. Uh, It was a a term that was developed around 600 BC uh, by a Greek philosopher, and he was trying to describe uh, how the changes in the universe happened, and they didn't have a way to really describe it, that there must be some divine being, a divine concept that was making everything happen, but they couldn't figure it out, and so they came up with this word, logos, that doesn't just mean word, but it can also mean, um, it can also mean message or blueprint And so when you think about it this way, this was God's blueprint. This was how he planned it. This was his message for us, that he laid out the cosmos the way he did. And what we see in the Old Testament is this God that would express himself in a way that he expresses himself through creation. He expresses himself through revelation. He helps us see who he is. And then ultimately through redemption, his goal is to redeem humanity to himself. And then in the New Testament, we see this unique view of God uh, given to us by John that he he signifies the presence of God through Jesus through himself and this is what you have to understand Um, in the past when I was younger I used to wonder why Jesus was called the word if you and I sat down and we were talking and I wanted to express myself to you the best way for me to do it would be to speak to you I would talk to you I would tell you how I feel I would tell you what's going on in my life and that's how you'd communicate. If you've got a baby, you understand this is the frustration. When you're holding the baby, you're like, What's wrong, baby? And the baby goes, I don't know what that means, right? Like, it could mean anything. Um, and we express ourselves through words. Um, if you maybe are in a marriage and you will get frustrated, and your spouse might say something like, Use your words, right? Like, What are they saying? Express yourself. I don't know what you're doing. I don't know what's wrong. And so the way I would express myself to you would be through my words. We've talked about it. And this is what you have to understand. Jesus is called the word. He's logos because he is God's divine plan, but he's also the way God expresses himself to us. Um, everything that God would communicate to you, he communicates through Jesus Christ. Every question you have about God's nature, about his character, about his love, about his um, His. Desire to respond, anything you see, it's answered to us. It's communicated. It's expressed through Jesus Christ. See, He is the divine expression of all that God is, all that He contains, all that He reveals. He is incarnated in the flesh in Jesus Christ. He is God communicating to us. So just as we express ourselves in words, God has perfectly expressed Himself through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the incarnate Word for us. So if there's ever a time, that you're wondering about God's will for your life. The two easiest things to do are to look at the scripture, look at the word of God, and say, hey, does does what I feel, does what I desire, does what I want line up with the word of God? And if you can't find it in the word of God, you ask yourself, does it line up with the character and nature of of Jesus Christ? Because he is the incarnate word of God. And if the answer is no, then that's not God's will for your life. The third thing we would look at today is the spoken word of God. Now, uh, I, I want to give you a caveat. Uh, the spoken word of God is, is a little broader, um, and this is, this is God speaking to us. And there are times, uh, I j- grew up in a tradition where uh, people would say things like, thus saith the Lord, the Lord has told me this, and it's hard to argue with them, because if God has told them that, who am I to argue? But at the same time, there's been times people have said, well, God told me, and I'm like, that doesn't sound like something God would say. Does that make sense to anybody? God told me that we're going to be fabulously wealthy. Well, maybe, but most of the people in Scripture were poor. So maybe God told you you're going to be wealthy, but maybe not, right? Like, eh, I don't know. Is that God's will for ever? No. So, well, does that line up? So when somebody says, I've heard from God, this is what God has said, the first thing we do is lay it over Scripture. Now, what does the Scripture say? Does it contradict Scripture? If it does, then that's not God. Because I've got news for you. God doesn't change his mind. He doesn't go, you know what? Uh, this was really important back then. It's not important anymore. God, God is not schizophrenic. He hasn't forgotten who he is. So if he wrote it in his word, if he inspired it and he breathed it out, then he's not going to undo it now. So God doesn't contradict himself. So we immediately lay over a word that we've heard from God, the voice of God, uh, over his written word, over the incarnate word of Jesus Christ. Um, So we hear from God, we hear his promises, we hear his directives, uh, we listen to the voice of God and then we respond to what he tells us to do. Um, And and then something that's really important for us to do as well is to speak the word of God. It's important for us not just to hear the word of God but to speak the word of God. This is what Jesus said in John chapter six, verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. What Jesus is saying is, the words that I've spoken, the rhema word, the word rhema here means to speak out. So it's the spoken word is spirit and life. So Jesus says, when I've spoken something to you, it is spirit and life. It's valuable. So what we have to understand is when we speak the words of Christ over our situations, it's spirit and life. And When we have scripture hidden in our hearts and we speak it over our situations, it's spirit and life. Now, I want you to understand something. Just because I say something doesn't mean it manifests. So this is not a way for you to go, hey, I believe I'm going to be a millionaire. And God's going to go, well, I'm going to make him a millionaire now. That is not how this works. Okay? The way it works is the enemy comes against you in a battle and begins telling you you're a failure, you're never going to make it, you're overwhelmed, and what you do is you reach down deep into your heart and you go, man, I'm going to pull out some of the Word of God that's in there. You say, no, 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 Scripture tells me that I am more than a conqueror, that I'm the head and not the tail, that I I am bold in the Spirit, so nope, you're not going to defeat me. And this is what the Spirit will do in us, but we've got to speak out, because this is the thing. Our enemy is powerful, but did you know the enemy can't read your mind? He doesn't know what you're thinking. So if all you're doing in those situations is meditating on Scripture, that's fine. But we take, we take the battle to the enemy whenever we begin speaking Scripture over our lives and speaking the truths of Jesus over our lives. There's something powerful about that. John chapter 14 verse 16, Jesus is talking. He's he's talking to his disciples about the future that he's going to be taken into heaven and they still don't really understand it. But he says in verse 16, and I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Verse 26 says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name listen he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that i've said to you see the holy spirit one of the primary functions of the holy spirit in our lives is to teach us and to bring to remembrance all that jesus has told us now the only way he can bring these things to remembrance is if we have heard them so if you don't have the Word of God active in your life, if, you, if you're not studying the Word and looking at the Word, if you're not pressing into the incarnate Word of Jesus Christ, you're not going to know what He's saying. And So the Holy Spirit's going to be like, man, I'd love to help you, but you don't have anything for me to draw from. It's like uh, when I was a teenager, I know none no of you did this, but I would not study for a test and then pray that God would help me remember stuff that I never studied. I see I'm not the only one with that strategy. We've all done that before. But when the test is a battle that we're in, the Holy Spirit's like, Man, I would love to draw something for you, but you've got nothing in the well. So, what we have to do is put it in us. So, when we are stressed in those moments, the fight is coming to us, we can go, Holy Spirit, I need your help here. I, I need your help. I-, I can't think of the right words. I, can- I don't even know what to pray. And the Holy Spirit, Will come alongside us. It's interesting because the word helper there, uh, it's not really helper. What it, it might say counselor in your Bible, um, but what it really is talking about is an, a defense attorney, that he is our defense attorney, that, that we've been accused of a crime. We're standing before the judge and the judge says, um, do you have an attorney? And you go, I guess I'm representing myself. And the Holy Spirit busts in the back of the room and he runs up and he goes, no, 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 your honor, I'll be defending this person. And he stands beside us and he puts his arm around us and says, no, 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 I'm your defender. I'm taking care, I'm your counselor is what he's talking about. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But he has nothing to draw on if we don't put the word of God in us. How do we do this? Well, we ask. It's very simple. Our God is a good father and he will, he will respond to our cries for help. James 1.5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. God, I don't know how to get through this situation. I don't know how to na- know how to navigate this. I don't, I don't even know how to read the Word of God. I don't, I'm reading the Word of God, but I've got this passage I can't even understand. What do we do? We, have, we ask the Holy Spirit, give me some wisdom. Download something into my spirit that will help me understand this. Do you know, even though I've been to Bible college, did you know that there are still times I'll be studying for a message or I'll be reading something and I'll go, man, I got no clue what this means. Does that encourage you? You're like, we're letting this guy lead the church? And I'll be like, I got no clue what this means. And I can read and study, and 25 theologians will have 25 different opinions about something. And I will finally just go, okay, God, I need, your, I need your help on this. I need your wisdom on this. See, what I'm prone to do is ask everybody I know for wisdom before I go to God and ask for wisdom. And again, I know none of you do that. I'll call my uncle that I haven't seen in 10 years. You know, I'll call, I'll talk to people, I'll ask people. But at the end of the day, Scripture says, Ask God, He will give you wisdom. He will not hold it back. I want to read one more passage of scripture to you. This is in Psalm chapter 119, verse 33. And again, it's from the Passion Translation. The psalmist says this, "Give me revelation about the meaning of your ways so that I can enjoy the reward of following them fully. Give me an understanding heart so that I can passionately know and obey your truth. My oldest daughter, Abby and I, we're kind of wired the same way. we like to argue and uh, that's not good when you put us together because we'll argue about stupid stuff sometimes. Uh, But it's funny because as she's gotten older and she's uh, wanting more freedom in some areas, and I've limited her freedom, she can push back on that. Well, that's not fair, and that doesn't make sense, and why don't you, and I want to... And I'll go, okay, baby, let me let me tell you something. The reason I'm not gonna allow you to do this is because this is what I see and this is what I feel and this is what my plans for you are. And if you do this and you get in this situation, then it might jeopardize the plans that I have for you and the plans that God has for you. And so let me walk you through why I feel the way I do and why I'm setting up these rules. And what happens is when that understanding comes to her, she understands my heart for her, she understands the situation, it makes it a little easier for her to go, okay, you know what? I can live within your rules because I understand your heart. And this is the same thing with the word of God. So many times we look at the word of God and we go, oh, it's a bunch of rules. It's trying to keep me from living my best life. That's not the case at all. If you understand the heart of the father and you understand why he's putting limitations on some areas, you understand that it's really for your good and for your benefit. But when we have that understanding, it it makes it easier for us to submit ourselves to his truth. Verse 35 says, Guide me into paths that please you, for I take delight in all that you say. Talking about the rhema word that God has spoken. Cause my heart to bow before your words of wisdom and not to the wealth of the world. Help me to turn my eyes from illusions so that I can pursue only that which is true. What is true? It's the word of God. Drench my soul with life as I walk in your paths. Reassure me of your promises, the things you've spoken to me. For I am your beloved, your servant who bows before you. Defend me from the criticisms I face for keeping your beautiful words. Defend me from the words that are spoken against me for keeping your word in my life. Verse 40 says, see how I long with cravings for more of your ways. Let your righteousness res- revive my spirit. This last verse, how I, how I long for cravings. See how I long for with cravings for more of your ways. I've been in this weight loss season where I'm trying to lose weight and none of my pants fit and all that kind of stuff. And I will tell you that I, I deal with cravings because I'm a human being and I crave about 10:30 at night, like a big bowl of Reese's puff cereal. And I'm already done eating for the day. Like I'm not even hungry, but I'm just like, that would be good. I want that. My body's saying, you want that? And I'm like, no, I don't need that. It's not good. But, but this is what I was thinking about as I read this. What if my soul craved the things of God so much that changed my behavior? That it caused me to act differently because I craved the things of God so deeply? What if what if when I woke up on a, on a weekend... Nobody made me come to church. I just wanted to come to church. Well, what, if, what if nobody had to, to twist my arm to get me in a small group? What if I couldn't wait to get into a small group and share my life with people and walk with them through circumstances, situations? What if, what if when I saw a need in my community, I couldn't wait to be the answer to their prayer? What if we craved the things of God the way we crave the things of this world? And this is not for you. This is for me. What if we lived our lives that way? I'm telling you, I don't think the devil would stand a chance against us if we had an affection for the word like God desires for us to. The written word, the incarnate word, the the spoken word. Um, So, Back to Fortnite. i know some of you were waiting for me to get back to it so here it is um so we employ this run and hide method and we'll hide in the bushes and you find guns along the way and there are levels of guns and some guns are better more rare than others. And there are times a few occasions where I've found a rare gun like the gold double barrel shotgun or the Gatlin gun or whatever and when I find that gun it's crazy because I'll be like all bets are off I don't care I'm like I'm going to find somebody to shoot with my gun because I've got the rare I've got the big gun and you, you guys aren't sufficiently impressed by that I'm telling you big deal. So when I get the big gun, I will go find somebody to fight with. I will look for a fight because I'm very confident in the weapons of my warfare. And this is what I want you to understand. If we, under, if we really understood how powerful a weapon we hold in our hands, the word of God, we would look for a fight. We wouldn't run from a fight. We would understand the enemy has no shot against us. Bring it on. Give me your best, because I've got a weapon in my hand that you can never touch. We're going to walk with confidence. We're going to walk with boldness. (laughs) This is what it says. I I said I was going to read one more scripture. I lied to you. Romans 8.31 says this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is standing on our side, who do you got? I got my big gun, right? I'm ready for a fight. Bring it on. And this is what I want. I want those of you that are believers in this room today to have so much confidence in who God is and, and, and the weapons that he has given you, that there's not a fight that you will run from, that you don't run and hide any longer, that you don't pray that you're not noticed by the enemy, that you will stand in the face of the enemy and you will fight with confidence and boldness because you know the incarnate word of God in Jesus Christ. You have hidden the, the written word of God in your heart and you can hear the voice of God so clearly that you're confident in what you're doing. You can fight with the sword of the spirit today. And if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to give you an opportunity in just a moment. So my question to you today is, are you willing to fight? Are you willing to take up the sword? Are you willing to be bold and fight the battle that God called you to fight? Let's pray together. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for equipping us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for, first of all, the incarnate word, Jesus Christ. Without Jesus, none of this is possible. So thank you for him. Thank you for the written word that we can know your heart that we can hear from you and we can hide it in our hearts. God, thank you for your spoken word, that we can hear your Holy Spirit speak to us, that we can speak the word out over our circumstances, situations, and the battles we face. Lord, we are not left defenseless. We have a powerful weapon. So God, I pray for those that are here that are believers, God, you would equip them more securely, give them more confidence in their battle, help them know that they are a conqueror because of how they're equipped today. Lord, I pray for those that are here that don't know you, that aren't in relationship with you, let today be the day that they surrender their lives to to Jesus Christ, the incarnate word, so that they can know you, that they can experience your divine expression for them, and their lives will be made different and transformed forever. So, God, have your way with us today. Now, with your head bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to ask if you're here today and that's you, you say, Mel, I'm not really walking with the Lord, I'm not in relationship with Jesus Christ. But I want to be. Today, I want to surrender my life to Jesus. I want to make him Lord of of my life. I want to know the incarnate word that you were talking about. If that's you, I'm not going to embarrass you or bring you forward. I just want to pray with you where you're at. So if that's you, would you be bold enough to slip your hand up real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down. Yeah, thank you. On my left, I see you. Praise God. Thanks. On my right, thank you, ma'am. Yeah, in the center section. Praise God. Thank you. On my left. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Praise God. Who else would join these and say, pray for me, Mel? I want to surrender my life to Christ. I want to make him Lord of my life. Yeah, over here on my right. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Awesome. I'd like everyone in the room, whether you raised your hand or not, I want you to say this prayer with me. Say this out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me. Thank you for paying the price for my sins by dying on the cross. From now on, my life belongs to you. Use it for your glory, and help me live a life that points people back to you. Help me never go back to my old ways, but help me live my life for you. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, whether you raised your hand or not, scripture tells us that you're a new creation. What we know is that if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised Christ from the dead, you are saved, is what scripture tells us. So I want you to know, we're proud of you, we're excited for you, and we wanna help you take the next step. And the easiest way to do that is to take about one minute and fill the card out and in the seat back in front of you. On one side of the card it says need prayer, and on the other side it says salvation. You'll fill the side of the card out that says salvation. And take it over to our info center when we finish here in just a minute. They're going to give you a free Bible just to help you on your journey. And it's just a way for us to tell you we love you and we're proud of you. If you're watching online and you'd like to respond, you can simply text the word SALVATION to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we'll respond back to you and we're going to help you take the next step in your faith journey. Uh, we'll help you get connected to a church in your area. And if you're here in this this area, we'll help you get connected here at Summit Church. So again, thank you for being here and worshiping with us today. Here's what's going to happen right now. The worship team is going to lead us in one final song. We're going to worship our great God together. And while we're doing that, our prayer team is going to be on either side of the stage. And if you need prayer for any reason at all before you leave today, step out from your seat, find one of them, and let them agree with you in prayer. Then in just a moment, when we're done singing, Steph McCoy is our missions and outreach director. She's going to come, and she'll close us out and dismiss us. So why don't you stand your feet all over the room. Let's worship together one more time before we go today, guys. I tell you often, I hope you know it. I love you more than you know, and I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys. Have a wonderful week. We hope to see you Wednesday night for our night of worship. God bless you.